me invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3. I, I tell you, I was sitting over there, and I kind of got caught up in the worship. I guess you're supposed to do that, and I was straining my voice. I was singing out, and I tell you, I don't know if I have anything left, but I wanted to yield my time to the worship team this morning because that was good stuff. Uh, I really enjoyed that, and I thank the Lord for their ministry. I do want to thank uh, uh, for the graduates that are here today, and thank you for worshiping with us, and uh, we hope we can have been a blessing to you to help you uh, in your accomplishment up to this uh, point in your life. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about, um, many of you have commented on my, my haircut. Um, this was not intentional by any means, okay? Uh, Friday, I decided I wanted to get a little greedy and make that last haircut last a little longer. So I was kind of going around the ears and just kind of getting it off the ear and I buzzed myself. I guess that's what you call it. I don't know. So anyway, I get in the car, put my hat on, and go to the lady that's been cutting my hair for almost 30 years, and I just kind of walk in. No one recognized me because they've never seen me in a hat, and uh, I walk in. I laid $20 on her counter, and I said, can you fix this? <laughs> and this is the best she could do, I guess. No, I'm kidding. She did a wonderful job. Uh, today, we're continuing the series, Follow the Leader. And again, uh, when you look at life and you look at uh, what all our life entails, one thing we need to remember is that we all are leaders. As I said last week, we are leaders. We are those who have influence in other people's lives. Not only that, we've been called to be uh, disciplers. We are dis to disciple people. We're called to mentor people. Matter of fact, the Bible says we are to be salt and light, and that is a form of influence that we are to have in the world in which we live. Everywhere you look in Scripture, we are called to lead, to lead. And so this morning, I want us to turn our attention to the idea of the preparation and call of the leader. Now, if you were here last week, you realize this is part two, part two. So if you look on your outline, you're going to see that I've filled in some blanks for you, okay? Uh, if you're on the app, you'll see that you can make your way down to where we are. But today, we're going to kind of focus on... In on again Moses because he we believe he was one of the greatest leaders who ever lived, but not only that we also learn from Moses because he wasn't necessarily successful all the time. Some of the times it was his own undoing, other times it was those he was trying to lead uh, doing the undoing. And so we can see from Moses and his attempts to lead the nation of Israel, we can see where we can possibly make mistakes and also where we can be successful as he ultimately was. So look at the introduction. There are times when God has prepared the leader for the task he calls them. And the one called does not see it. With God, the called are equipped and the equipped are called. There is no greater character in the Bible who demonstrates this than Moses. This can clearly be seen in the three segments of his life. His first 40 years, he was in the house of Pharaoh. His second 40 years in the wilderness. His third 40 years leading God's people in the wilderness. And this is what I want you to take away from this. The first 80 years of his life was in preparation for the call that God was going to put on his life to lead the nation of Israel. So let's review. First 40 years of Moses' life, we see the preparation in the palace. 
And the first thing we see there is his private birth. And many of you know the story of Moses. And we, we see that coming out of the gate, there's something special about this little baby who's been preserved when, when Pharaoh was killing many children during that time. But this one was preserved and we see his birth. Second of all, last week we saw his privileged background. If you were to look in Exodus chapter 2, and then we also get some highlights in Acts chapter 7, we see that this is where God began to prepare him and equip him for that calling that would be placed on his life. Now, I want you to start thinking about, or I want you to think of your own life. I don't care how old you are this morning. I don't care if you're a high school graduate, a college graduate. I don't care if you're 70, 80, 90 years. I don't care where you are. God has a purpose for your life. And so many times we think, well, my time's over. If I was going to have any impact, it would have been such and such years ago. Well, I mean, look at the people that God used in Scripture. Many of them were used later in life. Many of them were prepared for, for times that came from the early years of their life. And so it doesn't matter where we see ourselves. But I also want you to think of this. God has prepared us. When did he start preparing us? Well, Psalms 139 says, For you form my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. Have you ever thought about the preparation that God has brought to your life for the calling was there all along? It's always been there. There's that call. He says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. You know, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, many of you told me this. When, when grandkids, uh, here's another grandkid thing. But when grandkids show up, your life changes. Everything changes about your life. And, and it really does. But one of the things that I've noticed about it is I don't, I don't know that I was paying attention when my children came through. How many of you can agree with that? <laughs> but now that I look at my grandchildren, it's almost like I see things I never saw in my children. I've got more life experience. I see things more clearly. Uh, things just make a little more sense as we get older, at least for some of us anyway, right? And so as I look at those grandchildren, I begin to see, it's, it's amazing, from the very beginnings, you begin to see their little personalities start to take shape. You begin to see there's some leadership tendencies in this one. There's following tendencies in this one. This one seems to have the heart of a servant. And this one seems to have a, a heart that just wants to be in control all the time. And you begin to see these little things play out. You see, that all, I'm convinced, began when God does, started moving in that child's life. There's on cue. That's cute. I like that. There's also special talents. There's spiritual gifts. Those things that go in to make us who we are. The preparation, the equipping, the development of those things for that call on our lives. Next, we see his providential burden and departure. We, we come to the point in the story where it seems like everything's about to change. Everything pivots at this point. He goes from Pharaoh's palace to, to running in the, out to the wilderness to, to look for refuge, to escape the possibility of the fact that Pharaoh's wrath was going to fall on him. And the whole reason for it was because he came and he rescued an Egyptian who was being beaten by a taskmaster. And all of a sudden, words started getting out that Moses did this. And all of a sudden, we hear that Pharaoh's anger burned against Moses. We see him running. 
What's interesting is what Moses was attempting to do to alleviate, to alleviate the, the burden of God's people. It's interesting that God's going to call him 40 years later to do that. But initially, it's Moses who, 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 who decides the timing of this. It's Moses who's going to do it in his way, in his own timing. And we see that, that God really doesn't have a place for that right now. And it leads to Moses running to the wilderness, which is where we pick up the next part. Second 40 years of Moses' preparation in the wilderness. We see his foreign, foreign companion. And of course, this is where he marries Zipporah. And then if you look, we see, and this is where I want us to focus today, his, his flaming call. Of course, we all know about the burning bush. We all know that story. We introduced that idea last week. But when God shows up, the thing we need to realize when you look at Scripture, whether it's an angel showing up, God himself, he's about to do a great work. How many of you remember the story of, of Jesus and the call of Mary, the call of Joseph, and all those that surrounded that story? He started revealing himself. That means he was about to do a great work, and he's going to do the same thing here as it relates to the nation of Israel. You see, last week we saw the cries of the people, the cries of the people. The people began to cry out to God because the burdens of the Egyptians was more than they could handle. And God, we understand, heard their cries. And that led us to the whole idea of the covenant of God. God made a covenant with the forefathers of that nation that uh, was there for two to three million people in the land of Goshen. And, and the Egyptians began to, 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 to build and do things and, and put the burden on them. And they began to cry out, which led to the calling of Moses. As I said, when God desires to do a great work, he shows up. But he not only shows up, he takes the initiative to call someone to join him in the great work. Last week, I reminded us of what we learned in experiencing God. And many of you have said you've taken the course. And it's one of the greatest courses, I think, that ever came, came around. It was, a, it was a pivotal time in my own life. It was one of those defining moments when I saw things a little clearer because of the study. And, and, and here's what we learned, as I said before, and that's something that even graduates, you graduates need to think of this, the fact that God is always at work around us. He's always pursuing something. God is a working God. God is a God on mission. And he not only is on mission to do and accomplish his sovereign will, but he wants to use us in the process, which leads us to this whole idea of God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that's real and personal. It involves the preparation and also the equipping of what he's called you to do. And then number three, God invites you to become involved with this work. And that's the calling that's on your life. For many people, uh, and I don't know about you, but uh, it was all the way God lined it up for me personally. There were things that if he would have told me five years earlier, I would have just wrote it off and said, yeah, right. But you know something? God was gracious. God was patient. God worked in my life to bring me to a point where that calling became apparent in my own life. And it's not just pastors being called and, and, and it, 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 there's a calling on all our lives. We need to realize that. 
How do we understand it? Well, number four, God speaks to the Holy Spirit, his word, prayer, and circumstances to reveal his purpose and his ways. And then number five, and we can all relate to this if we've been through the process, God's invitation many times leads us to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action to proceed. And that's those moments where uh, you do what moments is what we called it last week. Do what? You want to do this through me? You expect me to do this? And then comes the adjustments that need to be made for us to join him in this work. And then number seven, this is the part that we should rejoice in. Then you come to know him more intimately through your experience as you obey him. And he does great things through your life. And all of a sudden, as a result of you stepping out and overcoming that crisis of faith, and and all of a sudden you begin to see fruit. You see fruit in what he's called you to do. You begin to see it all come together. There's nothing greater than that. So I want to go to the next part here. A life of value is, here's what I believe it is, discovering your God-given purpose in life. This is not on your outline, but this is something the Lord gave me this morning I wanted to share it with you. If you say, what, what brings value to life? What, brings, what makes a life valuable? It's that person who's discovering their God-given purpose in life. And then number two, growing to reach that maximum potential that's in you. Just making and, and allowing God to work in you and through you and equipping you and preparing you. And then number three, and it always has to come to this, investing in others that blesses them and has benefits to them. And I think so many times, and let's just face it, we make so much of our lives about ourselves. We really do. I, I mean, I'm listen, only thing I know about Facebook and all these other things is I hear what other people say and, and occasionally they'll say, hey, come look at this. And you begin to see it. And, and many of the things on social media, I, I think, and, and please understand, it's not all bad. There's some great things you can do with social media. But I am here to tell you it, it is a me-focused an attempt to put you before the world. <laughs> and you got to be careful with that because our world is speaking into that. And it is about us, and it's what we want. And so like that, our lives are so much more valuable when we take that life that we have and put it in the hands of God and say, this is your life. Use it as you see fit. And that's what he's calling us to. I mean, think about David when he faced Goliath. Did God prepare him? Yeah. You look at the story. Young David, little scrawny guy from what I can pick up, is out there. And a bear shows up. He kills the bear. He kills the lion. You know the story. Goliath shows up. That's not a big deal. Because <laughs> God prepared him. He equipped him. And David said, you know something? God's come through so many other times. There's no reason to doubt he's going to come through here. And I'm just going to go after it. That's the kind of faith God's looking for in us and through us. And he wants us to trust him, whether it's reaching people, whether it's to give to a cause, lead a church, lead a cause, parent our children, invest in children. The list is endless of what he could possibly be calling you to do. For some of you graduates, it may be a, a teaching career. I can't think of people who have a, a greater influence in another person's life than what a teacher has or any other person like that. So we see the calling. Let's look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. We saw some of this last week. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Orb, the, the mountain of God. 
And that's where the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. Think about it. It was just an ordinary day, a man doing his ordinary job. But God had prepared him for a moment like this. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great thing while the bush does not burn. Moses was curious. Something caught his attention. So when the Lord saw that he turned and looked, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, think about what's happening here. He's calling him by name. And he said, here I am. He's basically saying, I'm listening, Lord. I'm available. Then God said, do not draw near to this place. Take off your sandals. Take off, uh, off your feet for a place where you stand is holy ground. Moses, I want you to understand that this is an important moment in your life. Moses, this could become a defining moment. This is something I want to give you. And what I'm getting ready to share with you is something great. It's going to cause great faith on your behalf. It's going to be a moment in where you've encountered the living God. And God is calling you. Verse 6, moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmaster, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. I want you to think about what God's doing here. He starts naming all these groups of people. It's like, you want me to be a part of all this? That's a big task, God. That's something bigger than I am for sure. Verse 9. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. I've seen their oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh. So he's not only going to send him to the people. He's going to send them to Pharaoh himself that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Again, this last week we called this the do what moment. And the do what moment is now becoming a defining moment. But let me just say this. It goes by way of Moses having excuse after excuse after excuse. How many of you know the story? The excuses begin to pop up. Many of us would probably be in the same situation if we were getting a call like this. Jeremiah 29, 11, God said, For I know the plans I have for you. What does that imply? He has a plan. Now, the context of this verse is the whole idea of, of the call of, of the Israelites, God's people. But listen, we're God's people. And God's people are made up of individuals, and that's who we are. He says, I know the plans. God could have said, Moses, I prepared you for this for 40 years in Pharaoh's palace. 40 years you've been here in the desert. 40 years before this moment, listen, God, Moses saw the same thing God saw. The burden of the people. You remember Moses tried to fix it in his own strength, his own time, in his own preparation. He failed and ran away. This, however, is God's timing. God was preparing the one to lead the people. But Moses obviously didn't see that he would be so pivotal in this. Many times, the call that God places on our life leads us to what-if moments. You, you ever heard someone use that phrase, or maybe yourself? Someone asked you, that, well, what if, what if, 
You, you ever done that? Sometimes we don't actually verbalize it, but in our minds we think, what if? What if this happens? What if I do this and, and this happens? Well, that's what Moses was dealing with. It leads us on your outline to concerns, the excuses of Moses. Now, here's what I want you to understand. A do what moment is becoming a defining moment through the what ifs. And here's the first one. Moses says, I have no ability. I have no ability. I, I don't know what to do. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So God said, I will certainly be with you and this will be a sign that I've sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So Moses is sitting there, he's heard the plan of God and he's still got excuses. Here's the second one. I have no message. I don't know what to say. And so he look, if you look in Exodus chapter 3, look at verse 13. And Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And here it is. And God said to Moses, Say this. I am who I am. Now, how many of you have looked at that? Now, now many of us, we, we shorten it. We think, oh, God says, I, I, I am showed up. But that's not all of it. I am who I am. There's a whole lot behind that. What's interesting is this. If you take the characters of the Hebrew alphabet, I am who I am, it literally spells out Yahweh. Yahweh, covenant God. What does that mean? It means the God who is, who was, and is to come. The God who's eternal. The God who creates and sustains. The, the God who is truth. The God who defines existence and reality. The God who never changes. The God who is all we need. The God who is. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And what does he say? I am. And, of course, we know all the different things he says. There's seven I am statements in Scripture that Jesus said who he said he was. And so we got all this going down. And, and Moses, I'm sure the gravity of the moment's pretty big right now. So look at the second part of verse 14. And God said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am have sent me to you. Skip down to verse 18. Then they will heed your voice and you shall come. You and the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, and you shall say to them, the Lord of the Hebrews has met with us. Now, I want you to think about what's going on here. Moses originally came into this part of the conversation basically saying, I have no message. I don't have anything anybody wants to hear. And God's basically saying, I'm going to give you the message. And here it is. The Lord God of the Hebrews have met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand. This is God talking. I'm going to stretch out my hand, strike, the, uh, strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst, and after that, he's going to let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that you will not go empty handed. You know what, you know what this is basically saying? I'm going to make it so bad on them that they're going to give you things to make you leave. Or to let you leave. 
Oh, you need this? Here, take it. Leave. Verse 22, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. You shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Now, when you think of plunder in that day and age, you think of, of, of a nation conquering another nation, and you see them going just taking, <laughs> taking what they want. According to Scripture, the verses just for this, it says that they're going to give you what you want. Pretty amazing when you think about it. Moses' excuses didn't stop there. The next excuse is, I have no authority. I don't have that kind of influence. Hebrews, excuse me, Exodus chapter 4, look at verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose. Some of your translations say, what if they will not believe me or listen to my voice? Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. And you know what the Lord tells them? He's going to say, Moses, I'm going to do some signs and wonders to get their attention. I'm going to give them, I'm going, I'm going to do some signs and wonders to show the authority in which you're going forth. And so one of them was, he's going to take that rod and turn it into a snake. How many of you remember that? And, and then all of a sudden, when you go and take up the tail, it's going to turn back into a rod. And if that doesn't do it, guess what? I'm going to cause you to have leprosy. It's going to be right there on your hand. And, and, and then I'm going to take the leprosy away. When you put it in, it's going to, uh, in your cloak, you can pull it out and it's going to be healed again. And if that doesn't get it, well, well, guess what I'm going to do? He says, I'm going to make the water which you take from the river. I'm going to take that water and, and it's going to become blood on the dry land. Now, why would that be important? Because the components of that river represented a God to those people. And all of a sudden, all these signs are going to happen. God was saying, I'm going to provide you this authority. I'm going to give you that authority. God is, think about what God's doing. He's knocking out his excuses one after another. But then we come to a fourth excuse. I have no eloquence. I can't speak right. Boy, I tried that one on God. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's amazing um, that God, I, I'm proof God can use anyone. But look at Exodus chapter 4, verse, verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. You, you know what part of this is, you know what some commentators believe this is saying? It's basically Moses. It's not just necessarily the fact he can't get things out as much as it is. He's not quick on his feet. You ever, you ever met people that are just real quick-witted or, or they're real quick? And, 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 and something can be said and they can just slide something in there real quick. And they just, it's almost like they're made for that moment. You know, you know what I'm talking about? I've always been one of those people that's like, oh, man, I wish I'd have told him this. Are you that kind of person? I wish I'd have said this the way that should have been said, and that should have been. Man, I'd have really put them in their place. <laughs> Sometimes I just want to pick up the phone. Oh, yeah, by the way. <laughs> I'm one of those. But there's some people who just, know, they know what to say in the moment. And Moses, most people believe that that's probably really what's happening here. He's like, I, I don't know how to debate the Pharaoh of Egypt. I don't know how to debate the elders of Israel. I can't go in there. I'm not quick-witted. I'm not someone that can just pull things out. Look what God says. So the Lord said to him, who's made man's mouth? Or who makes the, the mute, the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? 
Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you. This is the reason I think it's that whole idea that he was confused. You know, he didn't want to get. I'll teach you what you should say. I'm going to give you the words. All you got to do is open your mouth. Bam. (laughs) A fifth excuse. I have no courage. I just don't think I can do this. You ever had God tell you something or ask you to do something and you thought, I don't know, I can do this. This is way bigger than me. I'm just not sure. Look what he says in verse 13. Many of us can probably relate to this. But Moses said, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Lord, anybody but me. Anybody, anybody would be more qualified. Anybody would, would, would arise to the occasion to do a better job than I could do in this moment. So just choose anybody else. I, I don't think I can pull this off. Don't even think I want to, to be honest with you. You ever been there? <laughs> and he's asking, send anyone but me. Next, we have the candor of God. Look at Exodus chapter 4, look at verse 14, so that this will catch you off guard when you read it. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. How many of you would like a little anger of the Lord directed towards you? How many of you have ever heard someone say, you better be careful, lightning might strike you or something like that? I don't know. That, well, maybe God does work that way. Thank goodness he hasn't worked that way in my life. But, um, but basically, God was angry with Moses. He was basically like, man, I'm knocking these excuses out one by one. Just do the job, man. <laughs> I've called you to it. I've equipped you. I prepared you. In your mother's womb, I prepared you. I sent you to Pharaoh's palace, and you had all the greatest training in the world that the world could offer at that time. I sent you to a superpower where you could understand what it means to be a great leader. And, and then I put you in the wilderness, and I've prepared you for this, for Moses. You have everything you need. But then we see God is making allowance for Moses' excuse. Listen to what he says. Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know he can speak well. And look, he's also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God, and you shall take this rod in your hand with which you do shall do these signs and wonders. So what is God doing? Okay, I'm getting ready to knock out another excuse. I'm going to let Aaron, if you're that uncomfortable with this situation, well, let your brother at least be the spokesman. But I'm holding you accountable. You're responsible. Now, I want you to think about this. God made an allowance for this excuse. Guess who's going to go and bring the people together to create the golden calf years later? Aaron, the leader God never intended to be a leader. And he's going to be the one that arranges it, puts it all together. You, You think... Sometimes we get what we wish, don't we? And Moses is going to have to go straighten all that out. 
It's amazing how we do things uh, sometimes in our own strength, that we do it in a way that's not quite the way God wants to do it, and all of a sudden we, we're left with a big mess. Anybody done that one before? And that's what we got here. So here's the application. What has God prepared and called you to that you may not be seeing? What's he called you to? We know he's at work. We know he's at work all around us. It's not just in Nepal. It's not just in the Middle East. It's not just in these places that we go and try to go tell the gospel and make him known. He wants to do something right here. Including God. He, let's be more specific. I guarantee he wants to do something in your own home. He wants to do something in your own family. He wants to do something through your career. What he's called you to. And he's prepared you. He's equipped you. It's all right there. But how many of you may not be seeing it? What would cause you not to see it? Well, for me, it, could, it was and easily was my weaknesses. What I perceived as my weaknesses. For others of you, it may be you got every excuse in the book. And you've been giving excuses, not just five. You've been giving excuses for decades. And now you possibly have gotten to this point in your life. Well, now I'm just too, I just don't think I got strength for this. What's he called you to? What do, what, 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 what's out there that you may not be seeing? How about this? If you know what, if you know, what are the excuses for not fulfilling it? Think back. What's the excuses? And then, as we just saw, God takes serious the callings in your life. And really, here's a good one. Do you? <laughs> do you think God took serious what he was trying to do through Moses? Yeah. Excuse, 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 excuse. And what do we hear? And God was angry with Moses. Can God be angry with us? Yeah. God is a loving parent. My parents were, they loved me, but they got mad with me occasionally. Now, why would God get mad at Moses? Number one, his purposes were not being done. Number two, here's what I believe also. There was a call on Moses' life, and God knew for Moses this would be the greatest fulfillment he'll ever encounter in his life. This would be the greatest growing opportunity he would ever encounter. This would be one of the paths that would create an intimacy between he and God. Let me tell you how I can prove that. When he was on the mountain, what did Moses say he wanted to do? Moses said, God, I'd like to see you. I'd like to see you. So what did God do? God, in this intimate moment, puts him in the cleft of the rock, and he said, hey, I'm going to pass by here. And you can't see me. You can't look me in the face. You can't see. But when I pass by here, you'll be able to see the back. The back. Would you say that's pretty intimate when it comes to holy God and sinner? And you're allowed to see that? It's pretty intimate. That's about as intimate as it gets. And God knew Moses would miss out on one of the greatest opportunity anyone's ever had that's breathing. To see the silhouette of God. He was given that. What do we equate that as? Intimacy with him. When God invites you on this journey that he's prepared you for, that he's equipped you for, guess what? It's more than I want you to do this. It's I, listen, want to become more intimate with you. 
Have you ever thought of it that way? That's exactly what he's asking. That's exactly what he's inviting you into. So many times we're like, no, anybody but me, God. Matter of fact, the other Sunday I was in church and there was somebody up there just lifting their hands during the praise time. And I, I could tell they're, cl- they're close to you, God. They'd be better than me doing this. Here's what we need to remember, as I said. God is always at work around you. God invites you to join him. The call. He's prepared you. He's equipped you. God expects you to join him. What stands in the way? What are the excuses? What are the what ifs? God is all about making a life valuable when a do what moment overcomes the what if moments to become a defining moment in your life. Some of you are sitting here and you're like, I've never seen a burning bush. So God must not want to have anything to do with me. As I said last week, there's something greater than anybody in the Old Testament had the experience to have, and that's to be indwelt with the Spirit of God. You have something greater than a burning bush at your disposal. The Spirit of God lives within you. Spirit of God. He can guide, he can convict, he can teach, he can continue the preparation, he can continue the equipping, and he's the one that God uses to call you into the things he's called you to do. What's your excuse? What's your excuse? I want to close. I just want to ask you, if you will, to stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And Why can't this be a defining moment for you? Why can't this be the time in which you say, you know something? (laughs) I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. A couple weeks ago in my own personal life, there was something that I felt that I needed to deal with in my own personal life. And sometimes when I do this, I'll go to Ridgecrest and go to this retreat center and and I was there, and, and, and I wanted it really to kind of be a defining moment in my life when I was there. I was almost begging for it. <laughs> and so while I was there, I began to hike one of the trails, and I went up the trail, and I, I just began to look at some excuses I may have, look at some things why I'm holding on to something in my life that I shouldn't be holding on to and those type things. And, and, and I began to look, and, and the good Lord just continued to work in my life. It's, it's basically, it's, it's like, hey, this can be a defining moment if you'll just let go of this, if you'll just do this. And so I was, as I was walking, I started thinking about these grandchildren. And I began to look down as I was walking. There's these rocks that were laying there on the path. And I began to pick up one rock, and I saw the first grandchild, the second rock, the second, the third, the fourth. And then I almost forgot about the fourth. He's only been around a couple months. I thought, oh, yeah, there's one more, and I grabbed another. And then I kept walking, and, and, and I knew that I wanted this to really represent something in my life. And, and as I made my way up, I, I'll be honest with you, there's a hill, straight up the hill. I just kind of sat down. I was exhausted. And, and I looked to the right of me, and there was this rock in the shape of a nail. And I grabbed that, and I thought, 
this will symbolize this defining moment. And I picked it up. And I realized that it, it was God creating this special moment. It was God that was saying, look, there's another generation that's going to go from you. I want you to be intent on praying for them. I, w- I want you to realize that this, this spike, this, this, this nail-looking rock is going to represent everything I desire you to do because it was paid with a price on the cross. What's your defining moment? What's he calling you to? Maybe some of you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never come to that decision to follow him and say, you know something? <laughs> I want to live for him. I know that it, man, intimacy with the creator, the one that created me, the one that gave me certain things, the one that's going to give me purpose. Yeah, I want that. I want to invite you to come this morning and give your life to him. Maybe you're teetering on the edge and you've been making excuses for many, many years. And and, and here's what's amazing about it. I don't even have to call it by name what it is in your life because the Holy Spirit knows you much better than you know yourself. And he definitely sees things I can't see. And I guarantee there's some of you, he's basically putting his finger on it. And and anytime that happens in my life, sometimes my heart beats faster. And it's like, yeah, I know God. I know God. Why don't you let today be the end of the what ifs, the end of the excuses. I'm saying, you know what? I'm just going to do it. Myself and another pastor will be here at the front. We're not going to sing. I just want you there to just concentrate on what God's showing you right now. And I'm going to lead us in prayer. And Wesley's going to continue to play. And I just want you to just take these moments. If you need someone to pray with you, we'll be here. Father, we just again thank you for your love and your goodness. Lord, I have no idea how you wanted to use this message. But Lord, I feel that you have. And I just pray you'll just draw those that need to be drawn to a matter of making a decision to follow you for the first time or to say, yeah, I'm sick of the excuses. I'm ready to just do what you called me to do. Whatever it is, God, have your way in this invitation. In Jesus' name, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just let God speak to your heart. We'll be here at the front.